We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Podcast and Chill, a special edition of the Veterans Minimum Podcast where we explore the stories and sports that are often untold. My special guest today is Alex Kalinkos. Um, Alex has been part of the show before. He came on in the early stages about two years ago and discussed the importance of gut health and how that can really um, affect everything in your body, your mind, your spirit. Um, go check that out if you haven't already. But today he's coming for a different reason. Um, today we're going to talk to this psycho because he decided that he was going to run a 50-mile race in the woods um, with no water stations or anything like that. Just has to do everything by himself. And he did it without ever running a marathon previous. Alex, how you doing, man? Hey, Tim. I'm doing great. Thanks for having <laughs> me back. Yeah, no problem, man. So, I, I mean, when I heard you were taking on this challenge, I I knew you could do it. Thought you were a little crazy. Um, I think that it's the it's the balance between those two things, though. That that make it so incredible how you challenge yourself, but also you got to be a little crazy to do it. Um, take us through the decision process of deciding, hey, I, you know, I've, I've faced all these challenges that I wanted to face physically or whatever, and now I'm going to do a 50-mile race in the woods. Well, it's actually the lack of challenges in my life that drove me to this. Um, but my decision to do this, actually, it, it came from a a few places. Um, the first was I, I, at the time I was, um, helping train, a an extreme ultra marathoner. Um, she competed in like the 200 mile plus races. And I have to say, I was extremely inspired by, um, just someone's ability to do this and to see, uh, how much, 
um, this sort of endurance event like stretched outside of the physical um, and really exposed like the limitations one's mind can put on what one's body can do. So there was that. And then in my own family, uh, my mother tackled her first half marathon and my sister um, tackled her first marathon. And just watching how much fun they had training um, and how much joy they had from accomplishing that goal was also quite an inspiration. And uh, my 30th birthday was coming up and uh, I, I wanted some sort of challenge. The feeling for me that makes me feel most alive is running down a mountain. Uh, that has always, since I was a kid, been one of my favorite sensations. And so I was in the rock climbing gym one day, and uh, this guy just started telling me about the Shawanagunk Ridge Trail um, that he was doing, and it was a 70-mile race. There was also a 50-miler, 30-miler, and uh, I think like a 20-miler. And, uh, you know, it was minimally, minimally formatted, so you had to carry all your own food, all your water, um, no help at the aid stations, no extra markings on the course. And like, as soon as he said it and walked away, it was just like the feeling came up from inside me and it was like, you need to do this next year. Let's first get into what were you wearing? Like what was all the things that you had come with prepared for? Sure. So, um, on my feet, I, after trying several shoes, I found, uh, a pair of like fairly minimal trail shoes, uh, the Innovate, um, Talon 200s. I have no affiliation with that. And uh, then I had my Injinjin toe socks. Um, and then I had uh, a pair of New Balance running shorts on. I had a Uniqlo like uh, tank top on, like one of their Airism tank tops. I had a running cap and uh, I had a 1.5 liter backpack that was filled with, I had a uh, three liter, uh, bladder that I spliced the hose and put a filter into the hose so I could just fill my bag in the river and draw water through the tube. And that would filter my water rather than having to have a step in between that. Um, the food I carried was in four water bottles. I use, uh, generation you can super starch. Um, and I filled up like, I don't know, 20, 25 servings of that. Uh, I had, uh, a spare set of socks. I had my phone uh, wrapped in a plastic bag because that had the GPS map in it. I had my med kit with me, which was just some bandages, antibiotics, um, or not antibiotics, like uh, like Neosporin. I had salt caps with me and electrolyte caps with me. I had, uh, what are they called? Branch chain amino acid uh tablets and maybe an extra bandana and i think that's it yeah i think that's it uh so all right so you're at the you're at the start line oh yeah and then i'm at the start gun line. goes off or d is it a gun uh no it was like a like okay a so air horn. horn yeah okay so that goes off take us through that first few miles because i know that <laughs> i just ran a 5k and i remember that the first three miles is the entire thing yeah, and by the end of it, I was like, All right, I'm pretty tired right now. This is this was that was good. That was nice. I can't even like fifty. Got to do that a whole bunch of times. Yeah. So what goes through your head like those first five, ten miles, just getting started, getting in the rhythm of it? Slow down. You feel so good at once that gun goes off. 
So that first thought, slow down, um, because the race went out, and the start of the race is like three miles of flat right near a canal. And at that point, like, you've just come off of tapering of your training, so I had more energy than I knew what to do with. So what is tapering? For those tapering is just like um, at the end of your training period, you re- drastically reduce the volume of miles you're running, but... Um, and so you, you're, if you're used to running, say, like 50 or 60 miles in the week, then you're running like 15 or 20 miles in the week. And you, your body's so used to producing enough energy to support 50, 60 miles, and you have it all stored up in you. Mm. So at the start of that race, you feel so unbelievably energized. You're antsy, you're anxious, your adrenaline's pumping. And in high school, I was an 800-meter runner. Um and through college and so that is like short intense i do not like being in the back of the pack and this was like everyone went out at what a pace that i was like oh my god i'm screwed these people are so fast (laughs) and i was just like i kept i ran by my heart rate so i was like i just said okay i'm not allowed to go over 140 beats per minute i was like and so i just kept checking that and so i ran by my heart rate as i watched the pack just start to spread out and you know, there's 22 runners at the start of this race. I was probably in like 20th place within the first half a mile. And that was, that's very difficult for me mentally. Mm-hmm. But then you just keep telling yourself like 49 miles to go. That's a long way, 49 miles to go. And that also like all the worry about that, like quickly got washed away because it was so, um, it had rained so much this summer that like, I guess the canal had definitely overflowed a few times because within the half first half mile my feet were in like knee deep water and so it's more like switching off that mental component of like worrying about where you are in the pack to just like okay my feet are soaked now that means I'm going to start pruning in like 10 miles and like are my feet going to start tearing open so it's like bringing all of that angst and just like tuning it into your body and just being like okay constantly checking on your systems and just being like how am I feeling how's this how's the heart rate okay Um, and so for those first like three miles in this canal it was more just like settling in to run my race and not getting caught up with like the energy of everybody else how do you do that how do you how do you hone that energy to just concentrating yourself and how does like Let's say something goes wrong. Let's say your knee starts hurting and you weren't expecting it. Or like the thing you were talking about, your feet, maybe they do open up, right? How do you um, overcome that, ignore it when you're going through all these processes that are where checking, okay, my body's perfect, my body's perfect, my this is perfect, this is that, this is good. If something goes wrong, how do you deal with that? Well, first step is to surrender that word perfect, mm. which is very difficult for me. Um but nothing's going to be perfect. And so uh, what preps you for that is all the training. And, you know, what the uglier side of training is that most of your runs are failures, um, especially when you push your new distances or, um, you know, push new terrain or intense terrain. You have a lot of times where you just, like, bonk out or, uh, you know, run out of water, you were dehydrated or the heat got to you. So you had been fucked up so many times that it was just like the mental toughness was so there that it's just like, I, I okay, if that's going, like, I'm going to observe that. I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, okay, cool. 
and I'm going to keep going because I'm here to do this today and and nothing's going to get in my way. So you talked about rough terrain. Now, we didn't go over where this was at. This is in New Paltz, the, the race. New Paltz is in upstate New York, if you, if, for those who don't know. And it it was pretty crazy terrain. Why don't you take us through the like the map and what you had to the obstacles you had to run over through under? <laughs> sure. So we ran through I think like four different state forests. The first one being Rosa Gap State Forest, and then working our way up north um, to like the Shawanagunk Ridge. Um, so the whole trail is called the Shawanagunk Ridge Trail, um, which is a series of like multiple trails. I think we switched trails like eight or nine times. Um, just put together. Um, and so the terrain was like, I, I forget what our elevation was somewhere around like six or 7,000 feet of climbing throughout the race. Um, everything's wooded and you ran from like mudded swamps to overflowed canals to, um, technical rocky trails, you know, past waterfalls, um, you know, a couple of rock scrambles, um, so it was really, it was extremely diverse terrain, single track running to like real wide running. So there was, that was what was also so appealing was, it, you you know, every mile was such a different experience. Every forest like had a different vibe to it. Um, so, and this was, I had never stepped, I had not stepped one foot on any of this trail. Um, so for me, that was exhilarating because it was just like, holy moly, this is like 50 miles of pure novelty for me. Um, and, you know, you have to have your wits about you because there's no extra trail markings. So you, and the trail is going to change colors. It's going to have some really tricky turnoffs. And so part of the race is like no one goes through this race without getting lost. Mm. And it's just like you try and minimize how much you get lost. So how did you navigate it? Uh, I studied the heck out of the map beforehand to where I, I could recite it. Um, and they do give you a GPX file that you can have on your phone that works even when you get no service and you see your location relative to the map. Although that could be really dicey too. You know, like some of the trails kind of intertwined and you couldn't quite um, track it. Uh, All right. So you're running. You're about at this point like three to five miles in. Uh, what's that first thing that happens to you that – puts I don't want to say down in your head because I know you and you I know you're a very confident person but um the sentiment of doubt in your head oh I had I had a real fucked up moment actually <laughs> um so like we we at like five miles is when I really think you enter the race you enter like your first like real set of woods and that's when it's like oh my you know I was excited because it was like I'm back on the mountains here are the trails awesome this is my zone and um, this is also when I started picking up and like catching up with runners who had started out what ended up being too fast. Um, and I go through, I'm feeling great, and then um, do this huge climb. And it's like maybe it's eight in the morning now, and it is already so hot in this forest, and like the sun is just beating on you. And I didn't realize how much water I was losing. And so at about like when you say water losing your sweat, sweat. Right. Yeah. And and my electrolytes, I wasn't like aware of how much I was putting out because um, I didn't expect the humidity and the heat to be that high in the day. Um, but this forest like held the humidity really well uh, to my dismay. And <laughs> <laughs> like I passed the first checkpoint at like, you know, mile 16, I think is the first checkpoint. And like I take a step. 
and I just feel a muscle spasm run from my the inside of my right knee up into my groin. And I've had this muscle spasm before in my training, and it's like it's been the downfall of many of my early runs when I started training. And so, you know, I like feel it and I feel it twinge and I'm like, no, and I just tell my body, I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not having that right now. <laughs> and then uh, I continue, but my body had other <laughs> uh, plans for me. <laughs> and like, finally, like we're doing this th- and this is approaching the biggest climb of the race um, from like mile, yeah, 16 to 22 is just like five miles of like pretty brutal terrain and uh on top of like a lot of mud and so every time like i'd slip in the mud like that muscle spasm would come so i was like okay i'm just gonna pause i'm gonna stretch this out so i start stretching and as soon as i start stretching my legs just start locking up and i'm like oh my god (laughs) it's like nine months of training i was like all of i all of my friends that are here are meeting me at mile 33 i'm not even gonna make it to them i gotta walk back to the tent and drop out before i even reach 20 miles and like so you let that thought just like flow through your mind for a second and you you just watch it pass. And then I was like, okay, I know enough about this. Muscle spasms happen for two reasons. Either the muscle is overworked, it hasn't done this sort of work before, and so it's spasming. And I was like, that's not it because part of my training was in New Hampshire and that terrain was ridiculously hard. And then I was like, or it's salt. And then suddenly it just like popped in my head. I was like, you idiot. Like you just ran in humidity for five miles. Like take some salt. So I put a few salt caps underneath my tongue and just started walking. And then I took a a salt cap. And then like it took about three or four miles for me to balance my salt back out. Um, But then it did. Muscles let go. And then it was just like that would be I would use that muscle spasm actually as a an alarm for when I knew my electrolytes were off and I needed to take a salt cap. So we'll get back to the race in just a second. But for those who don't know, the salt cap, what what is the importance of how it plays a role in the muscle? Sure. So um, it's really a very simple pill that is just filled with um, sodium, a little bit of magnesium, potassium. Um, And those are all of the components needed for our muscles to contract. And when there's an imbalance in those um, electrolytes, the muscle will not be able to have a smooth contraction. So you're running. And was there ever a point besides this one where you're just like, all right, I'm I'm done. Like, this is it. I can't (laughs) do this anymore. Sure. So, you know, I'll backtrack to get to that point. So at mile 13, I, uh, I came across a runner. Um, I believe her name is Jen and, um, we ended up running together through the race quite a bit. And when I met her, like I knew she was quite a competitor. She hadn't studied the map well, but she was, um, as I passed her, I was like, Hey, the trail's this way. And she's like, Oh, thanks. She's like, yeah, I was just standing there and a hornet just stung me in the leg. And I looked at her leg and it was swollen up like the size of a golf ball. And she had this huge smile on her face. Like it didn't face her at all. And I was like, Whoa, this is one tough, like MF. (laughs) <laughs> so <clears throat> we end up running together um, uh, all the way through to like the, it was a big checkpoint at mile 33 and like the trail to get there was like fucking hot, like really narrow, lots of brush, um, but really fun technical running. Um, so it was kind of a mix of like things I hate and things I love. And she and I just like crushed it through that. And we get to this checkpoint. And at this point, I'm like, maybe I'm in like, you know, 
hmm, I don't know, 15th place. And we get through and she's a step ahead of me. And they go, she's in third place. You're in fourth place. And suddenly I was just like, I'm in fourth place right now. I was just like, what did everyone drop out? They're like, no, we've got no calls of anyone dropping out. And I just didn't realize how many people we had picked off. And as soon as like I heard that, like my goal when I went into this race was just to finish. Um, and as soon as I heard fourth place, I was like, my like competitive juices just turned on and I can tell hers did too. (laughs) And because like, that's where all of my friends were. So I took my time at that rest stop and there was a nice river there and I was overheated. So I like cooled off in the river, refilled my water, changed my socks, um, which was like fucking heaven. Um, (laughs) and, um, but then she took off. And like, I was like, she didn't wait for me. And I was like, oh, because we're competing against each other. <laughs> and then this was like the first time I was on the trail suddenly by myself. And like I went and like I just went into like hunting mode. And I was like, I need to find her and I need to like, I need to track her down right now. And I finally did. And like, again, she was going off course. And I was like, hey, the trail's up this way. And so we started talking and um, she had just eaten a ton of food. And she was like, oh, it's not sitting so well on my stomach. And she was eating shit on this uphill. And I was like, this is my chance to drop her. So <laughs> friends, <laughs> friends turned enemies. <laughs> so I was like, this is my opportunity. So I like put extra energy in. I take an extra like swig of, of food for myself and like drop the hammer down as hard as I can after 34 miles. And um, like peak on the uphill and like run as hard as I can on the downhill and then my legs just like give out after that downhill and I was like I was like just like just recover these next like two miles there'll be a checkpoint you'll like re-energize there but like it was really interesting I felt like my instincts like got really heightened during the race and I like could feel her and I was like she's breathing down my neck and then suddenly boom there she came and she passed me with such a smile on her face <laughs> and she was just like she was just trotting in the woods while I was eating shit and uh she's like come on Alex she's like we I was like I'll run when there's a downhill and I was like starting to get angry yeah. and um <laughs> and she's like come on it's a slight downhill I was like you go ahead I was like I'll see you at the finish line and at that point I just like that was my dark place of the race where I was just like whatever I'm in fourth place third place male I was like and uh I can just I'm okay with that and I was like forget her (laughs) and uh you know I just then when I thought about it I was like I'm gonna be out here all goddamn night I still have a half marathon to go I was like the sun's starting to go down and like you know I'm someone who I usually draw into like I I'm a more emotionally driven person um and so, like, normal, I tried to draw into, like, some memories that would, like, you know, pump me up or, like, you know, draw on some emotions that would, like, give me energy. And none of that was working. And then it was, like, finally, like, oh, these are the two sides, like, that a person needs to have. It's, like, it's good to go into that emotional place. But sometimes you just have to say, fuck it. Like, shut up and start moving. And that was the moment where it was just, like, shut up. This is what you do. Like, you're, you are great at downhill running. And like the rest of this race is downhill. You sign up for a 50 mile race, shut up and do it. And as soon as like that switched in my head, it was like my legs were like back in gear. And I, every once in a while, they'd like bark at me. And it would just like, you'd almost like look down and like growl at them. And they'd be like, okay, 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 we'll keep going. So take us through that actually. Like people, you hear 50 mile race, and the, and the first thing you think about is the physical toll that it must take on your body. 
Would you say that this is more challenging physically or more challenging mentally? I, I don't think you can separate the two. Okay. Um, you know, there's all this talk about like mind and body, um, but it's really mind body. It's like it's <laughs> it's 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 one entity, um, and I, I think the communicating to it, it like uh, it uh, shows itself as two. But if you really like feel into it and explore it, it's it's really one. And so I, I would just say like. Uh, there's just like an honoring. It's like uh, when the body like just says something, it's like, don't ignore it. Just like hear it. But it's not that you have to react on it. And so there's this really cool uh, theory on uh, it's called the central governor uh, theory. And it's on like, why do we fatigue? Like if we're consuming the pri- right calories and the right um, hydration, why should we fatigue? Like, if, what? where does that come from? Interesting. And so this theory, the central governor theory, and like to really get the um, proper definition of what this is, because I'm going to butcher it, um, Timothy Noakes is the uh, researcher to go to, to um, this is his theory. And it's really like uh, the brain, you just, it can achieve, really, you can push what the brain can achieve but as you draw close to the end, that's when you feel the, uh, like the effects of what you're doing. And the example I'll give that everyone can relate to is you can hold your pee really long time, but as soon as you're outside your front door putting your key into that, you're like, oh my God, I can't hold it anymore. Because yeah. the end is there, and then the brain's allowing you to feel what's really going on. So I think that extends, and I found that on whether it was a three-mile run or it was a 20-mile run in training. It was like, I'd be like, my goal is three miles, and I'd feel great. And then at like 2.9, it'd be like, oh, suddenly I feel this fatigue. Mm. Same thing with 20 miles. I'm going to do 20 miles today. And then suddenly at 18, I'd be like, whoa, like I'm starting to feel like, oh, that's my knee pain, and that's what my feet really feel like. So I, I think you can really train the brain to go really i i think i've only just scratched the surface um and like you look at some of these runners there's this uh, runner courtney dewalt i think is the last name and she just ran like three back-to-back 200 mile races um you know in a month <laughs> and it's just like you can you can stretch the power of the brain i think is really uh uh fairly limitless so w- would you describe any easy parts of the of the track so like you said the mental part of overcoming um, of overcoming the difficult parts is one thing, but is you like you said you have to pace yourself with fifty miles. Is it equally as hard to like not sprint on the quote unquote easy parts of the race? Uh, yes, yeah. There's a certain level of like um, restraint one needs to have, like stay within your capabilities, or that, or like just sack up and be prepared to pay the price for like having that mo- everything comes with the price and if you have that little moan of ecstasy like running down as fast as you can well you're probably going to have to pay for that a little bit later but that there's a certain good feeling in the ability to restrain um and be like well I know if I went maximally I could do that and it would feel like this but let me experience that, like, actually just going slower and see if I can still find, like, the joy and ecstasy in that way. All right. So last time we were left off on the actual racing portion, we're at mile 33 now. Mm-hmm. And 
ha, did do you see this girl again, Jenny? Oh yeah. So she she passed me and dropped me while I was throwing my little a pity party for myself. <laughs> and um, then it was funny. We were running, or I was running alone. And like then there was this turnoff, and I knew this was the trickiest turnoff because it was a blue trail to another blue trail. And I like I saw the turnoff, and I like swear I just put my foot in the turnoff, and like I was like she missed this. I know she missed this. I'm now in third place. And so like that gave me an extra boost. And I loved that part of the trail. It was super technical and um, but pretty steep downhill. And I had just a great time like trotting down that. And I passed this guy. He must have been in. He was in second place. He was having a tough moment at that point in time. Um, and like then I knew I was in second. And uh, like. I could just feel like, I was like, she's back on the trail. I was like, she's coming for me. And I didn't see her again. Um, I finished the race, but then she was only 10 minutes behind me. And she had gone off course, I think, a mile. And so she had to trek back a mile. So, I mean, like, what an athlete. Like, she ran a lot of extra, and she was still coming for me. She was definitely the superior runner, just, you know, missed the map. Do you think... Do you think her presence and your, like, friendly rivalry pushed you to do better than you thought you did? 100%. Yeah. Because especially, like, is that, like, mile 44, it was, like, that's when it started getting really dark, and that's when it was, like, survival went on. It was, like, I stopped, like, worrying about my food. I stopped worrying about my water. I, like, checked in. I was, like, I've got enough to, like, hammer here, um, and all, that's all I can do. And like, I feel, I know I'm being run down right now and I do not want to, um, lose this spot. And so like, that was a nice boost to just be like, don't you dare think of like slowing down right now, you know, just keep pushing a bit. So food and water, what kind of food and water you got on this trail? Um, water was, there was a plethora of water because, uh, there had been so much rain that summer, which was such a treat. Um, although like one time I, I did not, f- I misread how filled my hydration pack was. And I ended up like running on this, uh, ridge line, like right at noon, sun would beaten down on these white rocks. Um, and like, that was a point where I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm dehydrated. And I think my next water stop, like there's not a river on the map for another like three miles, but I got so lucky and so did a few other runners guess what I avoid. There was two runners at this. There was like this uh, little creek that was uh, running down just from overflow that wasn't on the map. And mm-hmm. so it was like if it wasn't a rainy year, I would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, but uh, it was there. And like I like saw it and I said, thank God. And two other runners were there like filling up their water. And they were like, we had the same reaction. And so, um, you know, like that fill up was a very muddy creek. So like I just put the water in my bag, you know, and it's filled with mud and particles. But I spliced in a little filter into my hose. And so the water would just be filtered out to really clean um, water through my pack. So uh, the water you just picked up in any river, puddle, creek that you could find. And for food, I... um, this was like another part of this race that like I was so excited to do um, was the whole nutritional component of this. Um, I, you know, had kept hearing about the ketogenic diet um, 
and how it's used for, you know, ultra endurance running. And when I started training, um, this, uh, woman who is doing the 200 mile races, I wanted to change her nutrition because, you know, the challenges, uh, these runners can face on like high, high carbohydrate diets are real and they're, they're long-term effects. Like you may not feel them in your thirties, but suddenly in your fifties, you're going to feel what you did to yourself. Um, and there's a better way to do that. I mean, human beings are designed for very long, slow running. Uh, we have a very good ability at burning fat. And so I was so curious about this and I wanted N equals one. I like being my own experiment. Um, and so, uh, what I got to was there's this incredible supplement out there called uh, generation. You can, they have this product, super starch, um, They've basically taken cornstarch, put it through some process that I'll never understand, and it moves through your gut very slowly, so it keeps your glycogen storage or your sugar storage level, so your blood sugar never drops, but it's not high glycemic, so it never spikes your blood sugar, because if your blood sugar spikes, you lose your ability to burn fat. And so all I had was water bottles filled with this cornstarch, and anytime I felt like, you know, a little depleted, like in my carbohydrate or my blood sugar, I'd take a big swig of this. It rebalanced me out. And then the only other thing I had was branch chain amino acids um, because you you want all of that protein to keep, uh, to actually, you know, just keep your muscles uh, fueled uh, and your heart uh, beating nice and smoothly. And uh, that's, that's all I had. So, all right, so now... You got your cornstarch in your body. You're hydrated. <laughs> Mile 44. That's where you say it's starting to get dark. Yeah. Uh, it's starting to become like, okay, I thought I just wanted to finish this race. Did the thought of winning the race ever cross your mind? And how much did that motivate you? Sure. So the thought of winning did cross my mind. But like in, you know, what happens is you start passing the 30 milers and they start telling you like who's ahead of you. And so these 30 milers would like, you know, uh, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're in second place. The first guy, you know, he's like a mile ahead. And so, you know, it's a it was a pipe dream. It was like, oh, that would be cool. Um, but it wasn't it was more being run down was more motivating than um, uh, like going for the win. So take us to the home stretch, mile 44. You're looking at six more miles and you, you talked about the mentality uh, before where you get to that point and it's just like like peeing at the door like oh shit yeah it's time yeah. so how do you how do you avoid that and also take us through that last that the home stretch yeah so this was great i mean like uh this was just a great feeling like pure animal primal instinct was just was flooding like there was no all of the bullshit had faded it was there was a single task every ounce of every cell in my body was focused on that task there was the illusion of survival like being threatened um there was a goal being accomplished there was like so many factors at play that just like united every part of my mind body um to like finishing this and so the blinders were on and it was just like you put one foot in front of the other and you just you just keep going nothing else exists and i got so 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 lucky um because i ran past these two runners 
and um, they're 30 milers. And uh, I put my headlamp on early because I was like, I don't even want to like fuck around with this. Like, I don't want to like trip at this point. Like, my vision's already getting a little blurry. Um, and like, I'm, I know I'm not thinking as sharply as I was 10 miles ago. Um, yeah, how could you? Yeah. And the markers at this point get really bad. Um, one, because it's dark. Uh, and two, like you lose the markers on the trees. And this was all external markers, which they said they would mark with pink tape and they would make it very obvious, which was bullshit. <laughs> they were like few and far in between. And there were so many trails at this point, like splitting off. But I passed one of these, um, these women and she was like, she started, I heard her jingling behind me and she's like, you've motivated me to run to the finish. And I was like, great. <laughs> and she was so efficient with using her map, but her headlight sucked. And I was like, go ahead of me. I was like, we're running at the same pace. I was like, I'll light your way. I was like, you do the map for me. Wow. And she was like, totally. And so we just paired up, which I have to say, like, just felt so, like, good and human and, um, like, eh. If there was like a, a a running hunt in the woods, it was like this is teamwork to mm. like accomplish a goal. It's like you can't do this thing, but I can't. We're filling each other's gaps right yeah. now, um, and so we paired up. And uh, she like every turn, I would have went the wrong way, and she was like this way, this way. So it was a beautiful happening, and uh, she had a little more gas in her tank too, so she definitely pushed the pace, which was nice. Um, and we just. Uh, like, and at that point, it was so funny because like she would try and tiptoe. She had energy to tiptoe, like, on the logs across the swamp. And I was just, like, diving in up to my knees in mud. She was like, geez. I was like, I don't give a fuck at this point. <laughs> like, there's pancakes waiting for me at the end of this race. Like, I want to go to the pancakes. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. And then we just brought it home together. It was, like, pitch black at the finish. Um, and, you know, it's not a glorified finish line. It's someone manually taking your numbers. There's two people at the tent. Uh, I was so blessed to have, like, you know, my uh, four cheerleaders there uh, for me. So I got, like, a nice ovation. And, uh, yeah, it was a great feeling finishing that. Like, I, I like, can still feel the emotion coming up. Like, uh, I can see it. Yeah, as I, uh, I recall it. But that was a uh, crossing that finish line was a spectacular. It was a overwhelming sensation. I don't think I've ever been so like genuinely proud of myself for you know going through the whole process. You know, getting and, there. And you finished in second place. And second place. Yeah. I mean, that like blew my mind. That was that was <laughs> truly icing on the cake. That was a you know my birthday was two days before that. That was like a truly a uh, quite a shock to me. And my time was the third fastest course time. Um, you know, in that race, even it's a short race history, but like, I was very, I was very proud of that. Yeah. So the third fastest time ever. Yeah. So you beat previous winners. Yeah. That's cool. That was cool. I didn't that know was, that. Yeah. It was a good feeling. Yeah. That's yeah. dope. Um, so uh, a lot of these are, are, when I tell the story, it's like, yeah, you know, you could do it. All you need is a little motivation. Um, a 50 mile race is not exactly something that you should get off your couch and do right away. No. Uh, <laughs> so, t uh, you are a movement specialist. For those that don't know, uh, Alex is kind of like a physical. Let, let, I'll let you describe it. I don't want to do any harm to what you. God, do. I don't know how to what to <laughs> define myself as. I would say, here's a long-winded way of saying it: if our bodies were left to do what our bodies were supposed to do, if we did what we evolved to do, 
we would have this design and operation in our body that I'll refer to as the magnificent design. And it allows us to crawl, twist, stand. We don't have pain. We have springs in our feet. Our lifestyle now, the environment we as human beings have created for ourselves, destroy that magnificent design. We move in one single plane of motion. We sit most of our day. We do everything against how our organism has evolved. So what I do is I present a very fast way to restoring the magnificent design. That's what I do. So movement specialist is like yeah. what the movement specialist. Right. Yeah, I think is what. So called. I mean, in, in layman's terms, it's like it's almost like physical therapy, but in advance. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. So making sure, like, I know I've I've done this, and I had pain in my groin, and I was like, hey, what could I do for pain in my groin? And you ended up working out my hip for like an hour and a half. Yeah. And, and then feet. my groin and my feet. Yeah. And then my groin pain went away. Yeah. So it was like everything's connected. Everything's connected. For a 50-mile race, training is connected 100%. 100%. So you work on your own. You had you had the ability to really say, okay, I put in the work not only in advance so I could train and dedicate myself just to this, to this, and make it happen. You went to New Hampshire to train. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that journey. What made you uh, think, hey, I'm going to leave work behind. I'm going to leave um, – you know, the, my friends and family behind for a few months. I'm going to go to New Hampshire. I'm going to run in the woods every day. I'm going to really become one uh, with the trails and one with nature. And what was that process like? So there is something about, like, turning 30 uh, and, like, what was happening in my life that it felt like um, this was my last opportunity as this version of myself to, like, do what I wanted. I had... I was primed for this. I had my business was great, um, and uh, I had just started a relationship that I knew. I was like, this is going to be a very significant relationship, and this will change my life moving forward. This is my last opportunity to be completely selfish and go and explore myself. And so there the race really became a container around which I could live the ideal life um, for me. Um, And so it's extremely, it was extremely, extremely selfish. It was the most selfish year I've had of my life. Um, And I'm so happy to have taken that because now I'm ready to like, for so many other things, but I needed to do me first Um, and like work some things out on myself and just like there would be this itch that needed that if I didn't scratch it, I would resent it Mm. later on in life and I would that would affect the people I love. Um, So when I saw that kind of unfolding, I was like, and, you know, my everything just got worked out. It was amazing. My brother does a music festival up in New Hampshire, so I didn't have to pay any rent. I just went and lodged with him. New Hampshire, for anyone who hasn't been, is like the White Mountains are, man, they are a special, a special place. They are relentlessly hard, but spectacularly beautiful. You, like, you work and work and work, and then you're up on the most beautiful ridges on the East Coast. Um, 
and so I had the support of my my girlfriend. Uh, she like knew. She was like, if you don't get this out of your system, she knew. She was like, you're gonna come back and you're gonna resent me for it. Um, I knew that as well. And so everything in the year just like became around that. And so it helped me become uh, very well versed in nutrition. It helped me become very well versed in um, how to take care of myself, like and prevent my injuries or deal with my injuries. Um, it taught me like, man, <laughs> patience, um, resiliency, uh, and a, a lot more uh, in there. And so, you know, New Hampshire became like, I was there for four and a half weeks. The lead up to it was like, was not that cool for me, actually. I had a, um, like I did my first 21 mile run. Then the next day I went to a wedding, partied really hard. Then like went to Montauk for four days, partied really hard and I started getting like anxiety attacks and was feeling like depressed and what I had done was I had just depleted my system of like <laughs> I had stripped mind all the minerals and electrolytes from my body so like, it took a few weeks to uh, right up until going to New Hampshire to I like, get my mind right mm-hmm. and feel prepared and it was also you know, I was about to do a lot of miles out by myself. That's a, it's a lot of hours in your own head. It's a lot of time out in the woods. It's a lot of like thinking like, shit, if I break my ankle up here, yeah. what the fuck do I do? And that's a very real possibility. Um, but I think, you know, the, our, the amount of risk we can take is completely dependent upon, you know, um, the skills we acquire. And so I'm no dummy when it comes to training. Like I knew how fit I was and I knew my capabilities and I knew my, how strong my mind was at that point in time, um, that like I had a lot of confidence to be out there. And, uh, for me, that's the, the woods are my place of connection and, uh, it's a, it's a short ride, uh, life. So I, I, made sure I went and grabbed that opportunity that was presented to me. And I made sure I honored it by like, uh, being there every single moment. So take us through a typical training day in New Hampshire. Oh God. (laughs) Best days of my life. (laughs) Um, you know, wake up at, you know, four or 5 AM, uh, depending on how far I was going, uh, have a breakfast, uh, which would be, you know, bulletproof coffee and some eggs. Pack up my bag uh, with my super starch, a couple of changes of clothes. Pack a cooler that was filled with uh, maple syrup <laughs> and some seltzer and, uh, and any supplements I needed. And uh, I'd pick a trail, drive to the trail, strap on my watch and my gear, and just go out in the woods. And uh, I put no, there was no time frame around how far I needed to go, how hard I needed to go. I let my body really decide. I feel like when we get into our workout routines and we get into like our training programs, the program can't be rigid because if I wake up and my body's like, oh, you know, like even though we had a day off yesterday, I'm kind of tired today. Like my mood's a little down. Um, That's a day where I should just like go for a walk. If I try and hammer while my body's in that state, 
it's not going to go so well for me. Uh, and so I allowed the training to really to dictate itself. I didn't really dictate the training. I was like, today I can go out for three miles or I'll go for 18. I have enough gear to go for 18. But like if I go for three, fine, then I'll go to the river. Um, but I do my run um, or my hike. And uh, then I'd always go and find some cold water. Um, either a cold river or there's something in New Hampshire called the basin, which is freezing. And I'd go do like a cold soak for 10 to 20 minutes. I went in there. <laughs> was that the basin? That yeah, I went the basin. In? Yeah. That was. Oh, no, you didn't even go in the basin. I didn't go in the basin. Uh-uh. That, that river that I went in was beyond cold. <laughs> yeah, it's frigid. It, was, it made my, like, baby makers go straight back into my stomach. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. My fingers were just like, my Lord. Yeah, and so that was like, you know, as great as that is for recovery, it's also great resiliency training. Like, okay, so I'm cold. Can I just accept that and just like, I'm not going to die. Like, I'm just going to sit here in this and like, just watch that rather than like reacting on that. Um, and so I do that and then I'd go home and feast uh, and just like cook and cook and cook. At night, I, if my brother had a concert, I'd go check him out. Otherwise, you know, go to bed by nine o'clock, wake up and do it all again. And on my days off, I'd like, there was a nice little trail that I could go on a walk. I'd go down to the river, just like do a lot of just uh a very a very simple existence where like if all like where it was okay to just like sit and watch clouds go by sit and throw rocks in the river like uh, and that was that was it uh, luckily you had your brother and you could lodge up with him like you're talking about did but did uh did loneliness ever strike during this time um yeah uh definitely Definitely, because uh, there are periods where you really want to, like, share this experience with, um, you know, someone else. Uh, but I, I also, I, I'm a creature who I like that. I, I like, I don't mind that feeling of loneliness. And it's easy, like, on the mountains, like, where you get, like, this moment of loneliness. And then you, like, pause and you, like, listen and you, like... You do, you know, it's very corny to say, but like you do get a moment of just like feeling like you're, you really aren't alone. You're like, you're just another creature moving through these woods and, you know, the woods are filled. Um, and, uh, yeah. And like, I, I would say the time frame was perfect. I'd, I'd like be, you know, it was four and a half weeks and then, you know, my parents came up, then my girlfriend came up and it kind of reintegrated back into, you know, the world. Nice. Um, so you were talking about the the training pace setting you rather than the the you setting a goal and trying to accomplish it. Um, let's change mindsets for a second. So you're you're in the mindset of a person who can listen to your body, can uh, really hone into his own self, right? Let's say someone that doesn't have a great concept of their body and they want to start training. How do you differentiate between the voice? that is telling you to slow down because you're tired and the voice that's telling you to slow down because you're, I don't want to say lazy, mm, but yeah. you know, but like I you just exactly don't want to. That's a great question. Hmm. Um, give it five minutes. Okay. So when that voice says, I don't want to go any further and say you're out running and that voice says, I don't want to go anymore. Say, okay, I'm going to stop. We're going to, I'm going to meet you halfway. I'm going to walk for five more minutes. 
and then see. Mm. Most of our cravings, if we just wait five minutes and don't react, the craving passes. Most of the time, if you like set something like, oh, today I'm going to run four miles and you wake up and you're not in line with that, you'll not do four miles. But if you say, oh, I was supposed to do four miles today. I'm not feeling it. I'm going to do one mile today. I guarantee you at the end of that one mile, if you list, if you negotiate like that, at the end of that mile, you're probably at least going to get two, if not three in. Mm. It's Things are so momentary. They're so fleeting, ideas like that. And so that's how you differentiate whether it's the lazy voice or it's the intuitive voice. Um, give it five minutes. Just like just say, okay, you don't want to run? Fine, I'll walk, but I'm going to stay out here for five more minutes and see see what your mind says after that. So speaking of your mind, one thing that um, I was just thinking about now that you said that was earlier you said um, that it was getting hard to see, right? And and so I'm a history teacher on you know when I'm not doing this, and I I teach about the Neanderthals and early humans, and Neanderthals' brains were actually bigger than ours. The, the thing that happened was their brains took up too much energy, mm. right? So they were they were very short, and everything they had to do was that's why they had so much muscle mass because they weren't the endurance sprinters that our species is now. They were more brute and strength and less time. Um, but little does everyone know that the most the organ in your body that takes up the most energy is your brain. True. Um, What's your brain like when you're running for 50 miles? Does it get foggy? Um, do you you start you said you started losing vision, um, and how do you how do you really navigate that? So there's definitely inflammation that happens on the body um, at that point, and the brain is something that's going to get inflamed during that. Um, the way to navigate around that, like you'll have less inflammation if you're burning on fat rather than burning on carbohydrate. Um, and it's really about like how well you can mitigate it because it's something that's going to happen. But keeping your blood sugar balanced, keeping your protein level balanced, keeping your electrolytes balanced. So the system in as relative as much, relatively as much homeostasis as possible, that will dampen inflammation. So there's at that point in the race, if you remember me saying I kind of said fuck it to my nutrition and to my like electrolytes and um and so once I stopped like attending to my body's physical needs and fuel that inflammation definitely gained a step on me I just knew it was that late in the race that I could get away with that you know if this was if I had another 20 miles to go I was been in big trouble you know I would not be able to say no to my nutrition so all right, so let's let's back up from the race a little bit. And let's just talk about in general. Um, you you are a very big proponent of uh, the body being um, at its peak that you can get it at, and you challenge yourself constantly to do that. Um, you said something earlier that stuck out to me, and we touched on it a little bit, and it's that recognizing and listening to your body, right? Um, how do you hone in on that? How do you uh, self-identify to the point where you can listen to your body? And why is that so important to you? Okay. So I think there's a million ways to go about this. And I, I, I think the 
important part in searching for this is which way clicks with your nervous system. So the way I see the body and the way I see the brain is I see it as a, I see the brain in particular as a big radio antenna. And I see the body as well as an antenna. And it's always reading and picking up information. And I remember seeing, you know, for just for to paint an image, uh, the brain is receiving something like one million bits of information per second. Its hardware can only process 120 bits. So 120 over 1 million we're receiving a very, our reality is being created. And what we see, feel, think is being created by a very small amount of information amongst a very large amount of information constantly flowing by. I think we can tune the brain and tune the body to pick up different frequencies outside of, you know, what would just be like our everyday five senses. So if everything is vibrating, I want to think on and act on the highest vibration. And so for me, I, I want to organize, integrate, and align my system so that I'm not just perceiving the world through this small voice that dictates most of my day, but I can feel it through the nervous system because our heart has its own separate nervous system. I can feel it through my heart, and we have this in our vernacular all the time. Listen to your heart. Mm-hmm. What's your gut instinct? What's your gut say? Yeah. Right? And I think we, an easy way to like see that is like you'll always feel tension in your body when your mind wants to do something and your heart's telling you something else, and you're like, ah, that just doesn't feel right. Right. So it's that feeling that I'm extremely curious about. And in my exploration of that, it's uh, for me, the body is just like the ultimate instrument. And so I am curious as to how far I can extend, how much information I can pick up, what sort of information I can pick up. And like, I I think it's really cool that it's like, oh, I can think with my head or that's what my gut says. Oh, this is what my heart says. And like, the more you can bring those into alignment so they're not disagreeing with each other, um, man, it it brings me a lot more happiness. um, And it seems like life flows a little bit more easily the more I do that. So another thing you said that stood out as well was that the body that we use right now is kind of a, um, you said it's no longer relevant or it's a, it's, it's like a, like a razor phone. It's yeah. Just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's there, but it's, it's not usable. And so say why you said that a little bit. And I, I mean, you are one person that says, do you want your mind, your heart, your body all to be in one thing? And it makes you happier. And what you're seeing is a lot of people are getting away from their bodies and moving more towards like the internet and things like that. And they're sitting all day and you see depression and suicide at an all time high. So, um, and anxiety. So what are your thoughts on that? So, uh, look, our, the organism, the vehicle that we're riding around in this world was designed through some people say millions, some will say hundreds of thousands. However long homo sapien has been evolving, our body has, 
shaped itself and its capabilities um, to an environment that up until very recently does not look like this. So now we've created an environment and changed our environment at such a rapid rate, far more rapidly than our organism can adapt to. So we are riding around in these bodies that demand constant movement, variety of movement, um, proper nutrition, like whole foods, uh, lots of sunlight, fresh air, uh, tribe, community, um, sleep, and which is, I'll, I'll get back to that. Um, and now we're in an environment that is sitting, isolated, artificial lit, um, no demand for movement. Vision used to be an extremely desired trait. What do we need vision for more than looking at our computer screen or mm -hmm. our phone screen, really? Um, so the demands of our environment now, uh, no longer, it, our body's obsolete now. It's, so it takes a tremendous, and we get sick because of it. And so it takes a tremendous amount of effort and work outside of your 40 to 60 hour uh, week of work, uh, bills to pay, all the stresses in life, um, to treat the body well enough so that it maintains a healthy and happy existence. And so you can imagine our bodies are not getting to play anymore. They're not getting sunshine anymore. They're not getting proper air. They're getting everything that they don't want. And if my body is one thing and the body is really unhappy, it's going to have a really big effect on our moods. And so I am very curious because, I mean, I'm in a world where I'm helping people restore the movement of the organism. Um, however, everything in our environment acts against that. Yeah. And so there's a group of like, you know, the movement world is really, there's a paradigm shift and they're becoming like this fringe group of like people who are moving a ton and like into parkour and capoeira and all these cool things. The fact is that unless you dedicate your life to that, like the majority of people do not have that capability. They have maybe 30 minutes in their day to add in some movement and it's just not enough. And so I'm very curious as to if the environment drives evolution, what is Homo sapien evolving to? Mm. What will be great characteristics will how fast you can interact with your phone and with the computer and the internet will that be probably a big you know important characteristic for success moving forward uh it's the way our environment is moving our bodies are going to become more and more obsolete and just plugging our nervous system into something else and you know not using the body seems to be where we're headed yeah, I mean, this is like this is some dark. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've I mean, I've noticed it myself uh, recently. It's like when I when I was a kid and I watched The Matrix, and I was just like, this is such a crazy concept. How does someone think of this? And then ten years later, here we are, and we are. all of a sudden, the concept of being plugged into a machine and living an artificial life 
doesn't seem so crazy. What's what seems crazy is that a person would plug into machine and be like a in a cubicle. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but like what doesn't seem crazy is that we would be able to plug in and live this artificial life. I don't know if you saw the the Oculus commercials. I did. Those are that's crazy, it's man. It's crazy. <laughs> I can't even take it. Like you, you could be at the a sideline of a game and you see uh, even in one of the commercials like Adam Levine, I think his name is, is yes. with Jonah Hill and he has his girlfriend right next to him. And his girlfriend's sitting there on her phone, and he's in the Oculus at a Lakers game with Jonah Hill. And it's just like, here are these two people in the same space and time, but neither of them are there. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. I, you know? It spooks me out. <laughs> it spooks me out. Um, I mean, just like walking around in, in New York City now is a spooky thing. Everyone's everywhere else except where they are. Yeah. Every, everyone. Old, young everyone and i don't even think I, I know like my iphone update just gave me the screen time my average screen time oh it's disgusting isn't it disgusting it's disgusting and i'm not even like i'm I, so thankful for that <laughs> and i'm a person who's aware yes and who tries to be off of it but at the same time like you said i have a business on there i have my personal thing where like yes there's a lot of negatives to this but the positive of it which i always enjoyed was it helps you stay in contact with people that you would that you would lose touch with yep so it's that um, it's conversations that are going on up, the, up there. It's just like everything that it, the news, if you need the news, yeah. you, you look at it there. If you want to comment on the news, like the, the other day in Astoria, there was a transformer explosion. I saw that. Right. Yeah. You saw, you, I, you, I, I like just so like, uh, I saw a few posts suddenly that were like this blue light in the sky. Right. Uh, yeah. So the first reaction that everyone had, instead of going to see the blue light in the sky, there was two things that happened. You either went up there with your phone to to capture it, yeah, or you went to Twitter to see what it was, right? Like, are we dying right now? Yeah, and it was just really like a an interesting dynamic that the sky is legitimately bright blue, and the first thing you're looking at is your phone screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it freaks me out, man. So, I mean, if if that's the case, if you if you feel if you feel like humanity is moving towards that, what motivates you to continue to get bodies right? Um, because our organism isn't there. Mm. Uh, and so people are unhappy. Yes. And, you know, there's there's a lot in the world about, like, how many people can I help and this and that. But if... If each person took it upon themselves to just work on themselves and make themselves the best version of themselves and someone else didn't have to go do that, there would be uh, it would be a much lighter and I think a little bit happier of an existence. And so I know the tools that I have to offer are extremely fast working. It's something that the organism eats up. It it just loves these sorts of movements. It loves novelty. It loves play. Um, it loves this sort of stimulation. And so it's a very fast way for anyone who's seeking that return to either like a pain-free body um, or just like be a little bit happier, feel a little bit lighter. And I think it's extremely important to be embodied. You, you, you are in this body and it's, it's, the thing is thinking all the time and it's communicating to you all the time. It's just we've forgotten the language. Um, and so there's plenty of people who crave that, 
And so those people are, are drawn to me. I've never had to advertise for myself. It's just, it's something that people find. Um, and so, and I know how much meaning I, I get in life from this sort of practice. And so I'm very happy to share it with anyone um, who's willing. In uh, that said, like there's a million ways to that feeling. I just found one that really works for me. Um, and so I'm happy to share it with anyone who's who's curious. So speaking of curiosity, something you said earlier as well was your brain is constantly picking up frequencies. And something that you told me the other day that I've been thinking about a lot uh, since you told me that was um, so everyone has the highest point and the lowest point. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone has the ability to run a 50 mile race and everyone has the ability to the way you put it was be in the dark and jerk off. Right. Right. Sit in the dark, watch porn and jerk off all day. Right. So there's those two different extremes. Right? Sure. How do you find the balance between those things? Because I've seen you after running a 50 mile race, but I've also seen you like, you know, on Thanksgiving, so full and like, yeah. like drunk and just like, you know, on the, on the down of that. Yeah. Right. So how do you find the balance and keep it? And, uh, I don't yeah. <laughs> balance is, uh, is, uh, eternal practice for okay. me. Okay. I am an extreme, extreme human being. The only thing that uh, I'll like say on that note, because I am not an image of balance okay. whatsoever, <laughs> um, is that, and that just may be who I am, and that's my organism, and that's like, I'm going to respect that, and my way of respecting that is just getting in tune with my cycles, when I want to go down there and be down, and when I want to rise up and be up, and listening choosing so that it's my choice and I'm not just operating unconsciously. I think awareness is the key. I really don't care what anyone's doing, but just do it with as much awareness as possible. You know, because all we're all doing is just trying to figure it out. There's no like way of doing life that's correct or incorrect. We're all just trying to figure it out. But the cool part about the human experience is that we have this cool version of consciousness where it's like I can be really aware and so I think becoming aware of the things we're unaware of is very cool and we use like you know I can operate in center there's no way to stay in center the whole time I'm gonna get thrown out of center in either the high direction or the low direction what's important to me is is not that happening it's the return back to center what new lesson do I learn? What lesson did I have to learn for the 30th time? Why did I have to learn that the 30th time? It's the same lesson, but it looks differently this time. And so it's really, I think, the what's come over the years to me is the one hilarity of like the highs and the lows and like why, you know, I want to search for them. But the importance is like without judging myself like why'd you do that again idiot with like a sense of humor some compassion that i'm just a fallible human being and like oh what did i learn this trip back to center and that was really cool way up there and then i'm at certain points you're just like uh you know my lifestyle has certainly changed um you know over the years my oscillations from like lows and highs like are not near as big as they used to be um 
And I think uh, over time and as I get older, it's just like some things you'll just be like, you'll just discard and be like, I don't need to do that one anymore, you know? So I, I, I think there's a, there's a playfulness in that and the balance part. I, I don't know if someone figures it out, come and tell me, I probably won't listen, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, we talked about the environment and we talked a little bit about the internet and how things are changing. I also want to talk about something else that's changing in our environment that has changed even more rapidly than this um, industrial revolution and the, and how that's really affected us. Food. Hmm. Um, the food we eat um, affects that brain uh, ability to balance. Um, what I tend to notice uh, since I since I started really becoming conscious of this stuff is when I'm on my um, my lows when it comes to eating, my brain also follows suit. So like if I'm not eating well, I'm less likely to work out. I'm more likely to like put not as much effort into the things I'm doing. Um, I'm more likely to be angry, to complain, things of that nature. Um, but when I'm eating well and I'm exercising and things like that, I'm happier. I'm more motivated. Um, so a lot of that starts with gut health. And they say that your gut is a second brain. Now, you, we already had you on to to talk about this previously. And I definitely, I suggest you going back and listening to that episode again uh, because it's very enlightening. But we'll, I wanna, just want to ask for those people who didn't hear it, gut health. This is something that you've been a proponent for for a long time and something that you've gotten a lot more educated on since we last talked. So um, if you could just let people know, like, why is the gut so important? What can you do to help it? And how does it play a role in not only how you think, but how you act? Okay, so um, we I'll start it with that we're only 10% human DNA. We're 90% other DNA. So we are really composed of, especially in our gut, trillions and trillions and trillions of these microorganisms. So, yeah, just, just to, if it, not confused, like, we are 100% human. Yes. Right. As us. As What's us. inside of us, there's other DNA that lives yes. inside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's like six pounds of other organisms living inside of us. And if you think about how small they are, six pounds is a massive number. It's a massive number. They outnumber the cells in our body 10 to 1. I, I, heard, a, I heard a thing that there was, they out, there's more gut in your bacteria than there are stars in our galaxy. There's more, uh, yeah, that could be, that is a great analogy. Yeah. It is, it is ridiculous. Let's put it that way. It's, there's a huge ecosystem happening. Our body is a gigantic ecosystem and the, the gut is, has a direct relationship with our brain. I, I like, I always ask the question, like who designed who? Did our gut design our brain or did our brain design our gut? You know, like. If the gut bacteria is out of balance, right? Say you have a really sugary diet. So the bacteria that feed and the yeast that feed on sugar are now going to dominate your, your gut flora. So now they have a really big voice and they're hungry. What do you think they're going to ask for when they're hungry? They're going to shout up to your brain and they're going to say, hey, Skittles, pizza, they're not going to be like, give me some spinach and a sweet potato, mm -hmm. right? All of the ones that like the spinach and the sweet potatoes, they're suppressed. They're being dominated by this. And so you can imagine that cycle is a self-feeding cycle. 
Um, the more sugar you put in, the more d- the sugar-dominating ones are going to continue to prolif- uh, proliferate. Um, and so the... <laughs> funny that we have to use this word, the whole idea behind good gut health is to rebalance and restore. Um, Inflammatory foods, foods that just cause irritation in the gut lining, create small little holes in the intestine. What happens is that that net in the intestine should be really fine, but once there's a few holes in it, particles that aren't completely digested start to seep through the small intestine into the bloodstream, and we have an autoimmune response. So the immune system's floating around. It sees this undigested particle. It goes, I don't know what you look like. You're not a sugar. You're not a fat. You're not a protein. You're something in between because you didn't finish digestion. We need to attack. And so you Kill. get this immune response, right. which you know creates eczema, creates pimples, creates a brain fog, a whole list of symptoms that really come down to um, this gut that's just had some damage. Um, and this all happens just from like, you know, we're a highly resilient system. Um, we can really handle quite a bit, but for the majority of us, too long of exposure to that sort of lifestyle will start to wreak havoc on our system. We'll get joint pains that we just can't free. We can't get rid of. We'll get skin rashes that we can't get rid of that last five pounds that we just can't get rid of. I can't sleep. Um, and the most of our immune system, that immune regulation is located down in the gut. And so there's so many areas we don't have control over. Um, but if, if you're really spiraling, the one thing you do have control over is, is your gut and, at, and what you put into your, into your system. And in the beginning, it's, it's willpower, but it becomes a self-regulating cycle because once the bacteria balanced out again suddenly they're going to desire those healthy foods once the ones that eat spinach are like back in business they're going to send up to the brain and be like hey this is what i feed on please feed me this um and so the importance of gut health like it, it cannot be understated um for preventative measures um of course uh, medicine is there for a reason, but the best way to prevent yourself from sickness and to I- increase, I would say, happiness, uh, sharpness in mind is to really just start with what you're eating. And it's it, actually when you say it out loud, it's so intuitive and so like simple. Like, duh, duh of yeah. course, what's fueling me should be good. I don't put shit fuel into my car. You know, I want to put good fuel into my car. And if you put the wrong fuel in, your car's going to break down. It's going to break down. Right. Yeah. It's a, that's a fairly obvious thing um, in my eyes. And so ways of going about and fixing that, I mean, now there's like the problem with our culture is like we just take things and we run with it mm-hmm. to like ridiculousness. And so all these stereotypes and stigmas get associated that'll prevent people from doing something that's just extremely simple and extremely like wholesome. And we need like celebrities to do it, to be like, Oh, now it's cool. Um, you know, it just don't eat things that people made, <laughs> yeah. eat things that grew in the ground or grew on a farm and you're, you're going to be pretty good. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, the sad, as I like to refer right. to the standard American diet, yeah. 
is so far from that. And I was actually watching um, a, a film called That Sugar Film. It's a guy in uh. Australia. And he focuses on uh, he only eats a healthy diet of low fat that has been replaced by sugar. Right. So he goes from a no sugar diet and he keeps the same amount of calories and he gains like 20 pounds crazy. in a month. Yeah. Eating what's supposed to be the healthy stuff. Yeah. So I think that's what Alex is saying here is like, don't even look at the labels and believe healthy. If it came from the ground, most likely that's what you got to go for. That's what you got to go for. Yeah. Shopping the outside of the supermarket. If it's in a box, it's probably not going to be so good for you. Have it at the holidays and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not don't like cut it out forever. But I can tell you as, as someone who look, look, I have had my struggles. Everyone knows I'm very transparent on the podcast about it. I and w when I'm in that good place and I'm eating well and I'm exercising, I'm I'm great when I'm not in that good place. I could tell uh, right now I'm in the holidays. I gain like 10 pounds in like a month and I feel shitty and my mood's off. And my girlfriend and I have been like not arguing, not yelling at each other, but like having little quarrels over tiny little things, you know, and it's because she's not eating healthy. I'm not eating healthy. And we could tell. Totally. You know, you're just off your rocker, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, you're like a, little a little off. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. And it's it's hard to recognize. And uh, one thing that stood out, why I mentioned the film, was it says, m most people are like, well, I eat sugar all the time and I'm fine. And the guy goes, no, but you're not. You just don't know what fine feels like. Yeah, you do not know you're healthy. You don't know you're sick until you're healthy. You know, it's a, it's the same way because the, the body's not going to let you suffer or the brain's not going to let you suffer. Okay, you walk into a subway car that has a homeless person in it and it's, it's a horrible smell for 10 minutes, and then you don't smell it anymore. That's a great point. Okay, body's the same way. It's going to send you signals and alarms, and then suddenly they're going to disappear. And you're like, oh, that must have just been a thing. Hmm. But no, that's just one more level of disembodiment. And so I'm always amazed. Like I am the biggest wimp when it comes to sitting. Like if I sit on an airplane ride and get up, I am like an old man. And then I watch these people who are just like, you know, so out of shape. They get up and they like look like they're okay. And I'm like, wow. I was like, they're so disembodied. Their body has like just said, you know what? I'm just going to shut up because this is the way you're going to treat me. I'm not even going to tell you that your back hurts anymore or this hurts. There's just going to be some huge traumatic event in like five years. Um, but until then, I'm just going to disembody. I'm not going to make you suffer. Um, but if you take someone like that and you bring them through like some spinal lengthening, they're like, holy shit, I didn't even realize I was that tight. And I, I think that's a very powerful mechanism in our brain for both good and for evil. Um, it serves its purpose. But like if we keep disembodying, keep that pattern of disembodiment, uh, you really you lose communication with this vehicle. Suddenly, you don't even like have any respect that you have this like crazy. Like, do you know how much needs to go on? How much electricity is going through your body when you're just like wiggling your finger? And like, how amazing these tasks that we just take so for granted. Um, and it's really it's a uh, that disembodiment is a uh, very that makes me very sad. Mm. Um, because you're missing out on like part of the human experience. It's crazy you say that because like from personal experience again, when you first when you first told me about 
the stuff and I started to get uh, healthier and I started to work out more, um, I was definitely one of those people where I would take an explosive shit, right? And then it would, be, it would just be like, yeah, you know, that's just my regular shit. You right, know? right. Totally. And, and then I went off and I, I went through this whole process. I found out I was lactose intolerant. And then I had cheese for the first time again or butter. And all of a sudden, my stomach had these stinging pains and I had to go to the bathroom immediately. Yeah. But I could eat before I could eat bread and butter and cheese for breakfast and then go on my merry way. Yes. So it's, it's it was kind of ironic because um, here here I am getting healthier, but now the unhealthy stuff affects me. Mm-hmm. But before I could just eat this and I was lactose intolerant and no problem. That's how I would start my day. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your body, the way your body communicates to you is so interesting. And yeah. it's like, you can ignore that. It's a, it's a live living thing that talks. It just doesn't talk how you and I talk. Um, it talks in like diarrhea. I'm telling you that's bad. <laughs> yeah. you know? And you can listen to that or you cannot. And if you list, don't listen to it enough, it'll say fine. Fuck you! I'm gonna like give you a real big traumatic event in about two years, yeah. and and it's crazy because you have to be able to listen carefully as well because I would get this uh, psoriasis on my fingers. Yeah, right. And I just thought, all right, it's because I'm exposing my fingers to the cold, and I have some some frostbite, like a mild frostbite. And my family, they all get the same thing on their fingers, mm-hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, I started not eating dairy. And in the middle of summer, I ate I ate dairy, and I saw all of a sudden this psoriasis on my fingers. Yeah, and then it happened a couple more times. So now I'm in tune. So when the psoriasis comes up, I know all right, I've eaten something that I'm not supposed to eat. Yeah, awesome. And yeah, and 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 now I'm in tune with my body. And yeah. it's crazy because a lot of people like I was watching this show the night of, and oh, yeah, there's cool. this guy who can't get rid of his eczema. Right. <laughs> but then he'd go home and he'd drink beer. Yeah. And beer the has gluten, man. The gluten, <laughs> the gluten's doing it to you. Like, and I'm th- like, that has nothing to do with a TV show. Yeah, but I'm just like, oh, stop drinking the beer. Like, he's putting all these drink tequila. Cr- yeah, he's <laughs> putting all these crazy things on himself while he's drinking beer, and he doesn't even realize that he's doing it to himself from the inside. Yeah, and it's crazy things like that, like, like uh, acne and psoriasis and pimples and. Um, Think just random joint pains, things like that. It's actually your, sometimes it's just your body saying, hey, don't eat what you're eating. I see the skin as the biggest communicative organ for the gut. I feel like the gut tells you what's how the how porous the skin is, is probably like and like how irritated is probably how irritated your gut is. Interesting. Yeah, there's a gosh, I forget the name of the glow glow 25 or glow 15 is the book. Um on this woman and uh that's her big thing and like as soon as she like i read that and i started like paying attention i was like oh my gosh you're right i was like because when i'm really good it's like my skin's soft like has a glow to it um and then when i'm not it's like it's a crusty and like you know yeah. ripped up and i'm like whoa that's it's very interesting that's i definitely see the skin as the organ of communication for what's going on in the gut so we have a very reactive society not really like preventative correct like like someone said this the other day and i it really resonated with me it said we don't have health care in this country we have sick care totally right yeah so this is a great way to prevent 
that sickness. And autoimmune diseases are popping up everywhere. If you don't know what auto- everywhere e- Parkinson's and young, young, young yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. So why is this happening? Obviously, yeah. there's something in our in our in our you know no idea. I mean, like we fucked with our food system so bad at this point that um, I I really think you can do the best you can do um, in like listening to diets like the whole thirty and things like that. Um, and then just, um, you know, there's a lot of supplements out there that like I approve of that are very good for like at least, you know, once or twice a year, either detoxifying your pathways or just like giving the gut a few extra nutrients to help repair it. Um, but yeah, it's spooky. And we are like, man, I, I, I do see the shift happening at least like I'm in a little bubble in New York city, but, um, I do see the shift happening that this conversation people aren't getting so offended by. Because I think people are pretty sick of like these chronic illnesses um, that there's no answers for, and uh, you know, not ready, not willing to take more, um, you know, pills for. The biggest thing we could do to stick it to the healthcare system would be to all eat really well. Yeah, that's how we would stick it to the man. It, it's crazy because if you if you really if you we, this is a whole other podcast, but if you follow the money, ev- everything <laughs> comes down to. The healthcare system. Oh yeah, and how much money it has, and how much influence it has oh, on yeah. everyone. So um, think about it. What's the number one tradable asset? Life, right? Everyone has life. Everyone wants to keep life. Everyone wants to keep it. Make them sick. Right. So yeah. make them sick. <laughs> right. And and look, this is again, this is another podcast for another time. But um, in in terms of the social stigma you were talking about, um, I noticed that as soon as a health thing happens where there's a new study that opens up all of a sudden there's that sect of the population that will fight against it because it's something that they don't recognize and they'll turn it into a joke right so yeah people who are on ketogenic diets they'll joke about that vegans they'll joke about the vegans and you what you see though is kind of like um because of that because of the combative nature of it the opposite side is the people who are vegans, the people who are dieting, the people who are doing it right. They they kind of become um, defensive and a little pompous. Totally right. Yeah. So it, how do you, as someone who goes into situations where you have to correct someone, both in their body and in their mind, how do you stay away from being pompous about it? And how do you how do you try and convince people um, to do it? Um, yeah, great question because I definitely, when I first started this, I was pompous. You know, I was a young kid. I was 23, 24. I was like, I figured it out. Right. Um, so after I got over that phase, what I realized is, um, I, I walk my talk 110%. Mm. And if that's all I can do and I don't say I do this, this, and this now people ask, what do you do to look that way? You seem really happy. What are you doing in your life? And then I just simply share my way and a few ways that like would be easily accessible. And then I shut up. And even when they're like, come back and they're like, oh, I'm feeling so good in this. I'm like, great. That's awesome. All, all you can be is the example. And so um, if someone wants to, um, you know, jeer at me for X, Y, and Z. I just smile. I look at them, <laughs> take my assessment of them, 
and uh, I don't really, most of the time, I really don't give a shit then because <laughs> I'm just like, okay, <laughs> you yeah. don't look like you have much to offer. And I know what I'm bringing to the table. And I like, I know it because I feel it and I, it's, it's very real and I know my effect in the world. Um, and so that internal confidence allows me to just like not get caught up in that sway. We can go on for hours, but I, I want that sentiment to be the last one. I feel mm. like, I feel yeah. like that's a perfect way to, to end it. Yeah. Um, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability and people will notice. Yes. And that's it. That's it. And be the best at it. Be the best at whatever you're doing. Yeah. And, and just, just dig into it. Yeah. Just dig into it. I saw like a, a great quote the other day that was something along the lines of like, um, uh, don't be, don't concern yourself if there's uh, life after death. Concern yourself with living before you die. Mm. And I feel like you can have that quote resonate out into everything. Like what you do, do it fully. And, and it's, a, it's an exploration. Try it out and just be honest. Like, does that work? That didn't work. Okay. What can I, how can I tune it? It's, a, it's an ever evolving happening. So uh, I know you said that you, your business spreads through word of mouth and all that stuff, but is there anything that you know people can find you online or anything like that that you want to plug? Uh, you know, the system I teach has a website, uh, www.revinmo.com, um, and I think check it out. Uh, I would also, yeah, I think that's all I, w- I, would, I would offer um, as far as like searching me down because I don't really have enough capacity to offer people Mm. you know uh, anything i wish i did maybe next time i'm here i will um yeah all right so revinmo.com is where you could find him you could find me as you know at Timpatrop on all social media outlets um this has been veterans minimum uh this has been uh podcast and chill with alex kalinkos again if you want to check out uh his movements and how he restores the body into uh it's natural moving motions, Rev in Mo, R-E-V-N-M-O. That stands for Revolution in Motion. Yes. Uh, so RevInMo.com. Go check that out. Uh, and until next time, see you later. Thanks, Alex, so much for being with me. Thanks, Tim. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.